millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Story time. I was one of the 25 elite hunters invited to participate in a secret hunting competition on a private island. Organized by a mysterious. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yes, an eccentric billionaire. The excitement was palpable as we arrived on the island, 
eager to test our skills and experience the thrill of the hunt. Little did we know the true nature of the challenge that awaited us. As we explored the island, we soon discovered that it was inhabited by unknown creatures with extraordinary abilities. These beasts were unlike anything we had ever seen, agile, cunning, and lethal. One by one, my fellow hunters began to fall, devoured by the monsters that roamed the island. It wasn't long before only five of us remained. Determined to survive and unravel the mystery of the island, I decided to investigate the true intentions of our enigmatic host. It wasn't long before I discovered that the billionaire was not only the mastermind behind the event but also the creator of these creatures. He had engineered them as the ultimate hunting challenge, pitting us against his monstrous creations to satisfy his twisted sense of amusement. With this newfound knowledge, I decided to use my wits and understanding of the creature's abilities to defeat the billionaire and his abominations. I observed the predator's habits and patterns, formulating a plan to turn the tables on our tormentor. I set up a controlled fire in a specific area of the woods, carefully managing the blaze to ensure that it didn't spread uncontrollably. As the predators moved through their territory, they were drawn towards the fire by curiosity or the sounds of prey. Once the creatures were close enough, I used the fire as a barrier, trapping them and forcing them to face me in a final confrontation. The fire disoriented the predators, and I took advantage of their confusion to drive them into a preset trap. As the creatures struggled in their confinement, I approached the billionaire, who had been watching the events unfold from a distance. His eyes widened in fear and surprise as he realized that I had outsmarted him and his monstrous creations. Using the billionaire's own creations against him, I forced him to confront the reality of the terror he had unleashed on the island. As the creatures closed in on their creator, he finally understood the consequences of his actions. With the billionaire defeated, I managed to escape the island, leaving behind the horrors that had claimed the lives of my fellow hunters. I vowed never to forget their sacrifices and to share the cautionary tale of our experience, a chilling reminder of the dangers that can arise when human ambition and curiosity are left unchecked. My spouse and I were riding in our private sleeping compartment on the train from Chicago to Portland, a trip we took almost every year to visit our relatives. I was keeping a close eye on the clock, as the train had left with a delay and had to make numerous unscheduled stops to let other trains pass. We both honestly admitted that we were nearly naked during the journey. In the afternoon, around 2 p.m., the train made an unscheduled control stop about 10 minutes west of the Dalles, Oregon. Glancing diagonally across a snow-covered clearing between the train and the Columbia River, we spotted a dark Sasquatch stepping into the clearing, accompanied by several dark birds of an unidentified species. The Sasquatch hunkered down to look at the train, occasionally getting up to walk a few steps before crouching down again. The hair on its legs stuck out on the surface of the snow like bell-bottom pants. When hunkering down, its arms were outside its knees, and it rose without any assistance from its arms or hands. My spouse and I felt secure within the train and were not seen by the Sasquatch due to the tinted windows. We could exchange mutual questions during the eight-minute period that the train stopped, verifying our mutual impressions of the creature's reality and appearance. 
The contrasty lighting made it difficult to see the animal's features in detail. The conductor indirectly admitted to seeing it too, but the terrain's geometry prevented others in compartments ahead or behind ours from viewing it. We couldn't alert others during the event because of our state of undress. The train left with the Sasquatch still watching. We both stated our absolute conviction that what we saw was a Sasquatch. So, I quit my job as a park ranger a few days ago, not because I got tired of it, it's because I've seen some crazy shit. I wasn't one of those park rangers that stand around or sit in a shack. I was the kind that were bound to towers, taking radio calls and more. So, it was a normal day just sitting, looking out for any strange things. You may be asking, strange things? When I first got the job, they informed me of strange entities and happenings. Those I still do not know to this day. As day started setting, I got a radio call from the other tower. Yes, I had the night shift that day. The man at the tower, or Chris, told me he's heading home and just a reminder to look out because night isn't pretty. As I see his lights turn off of the tower, I knew that my shift started. Nothing really happens when you work the night shift, but this specific day was strange. I was sitting next to the park map they left us when I hear static coming from the radio. I knew someone was trying to contact the tower, so I walked over. Before I had time to respond, a scared, out-of-breath man was on the radio. Hello, I heard. I did the standard procedure. This is Tower 4. What seems to be the problem? Finally, someone help. The man said in relief. I was on the trail when I heard something behind me. Any more information? I asked him. Yeah, I started to speed up when I did it. It sounded like something was running after me. Stay on the line, I said. I opened the instruction manual. I was reading the part about hikers being chased by an animal. As I was reading, I heard a scream over the radio. Hello? Do you copy? Help. Whatever was chasing me is still chasing me. Keep running, but where are you? The lake that's near tower 2. Head to the nearest tower. We always leave the towers open because when the shifts are over, they require to unplug and put the radio in the locked box. Yeah, that's dumb, but it's how it works. As I return to the radio, I hear a scream from the radio and outside. It sounded like somebody was getting murdered. Hello? Where are you? I hear on the radio. I lied for my safety. I'm at the tower I sent you to. Okay, he sounded so calm. I pulled up my binoculars and zoomed in on tower. What I saw scares the shit out of me. It was a creature looking at me with red glowing eyes. It was waving at me. I was frozen in a state of paralysis just being watched by this creature. It was weird. It almost looked like something out of a movie or a game. As I started to feel like I could move again, I used it to grab the hunting rifle given to me. I aimed, but nothing was there anymore. I sat down and got the flask I hid in my drawer, and I took one sip. Then I heard the familiar creak of my tower steps. It was late, and no one comes to check up on me at this time. I hid under the bed provided. Who's there? The thing said. It sounded like my boss, but I knew it wasn't. 
It sounded like a somewhat good impression. I knew it wasn't him when I saw its legs. It had hooves and fur, and I only saw its bottom part. It left, but whatever was there could replicate voices. Whatever it was I don't know, but that was the one part that almost made me quit. But there are many more reasons. I have lived in this small town my entire life, surrounded by the dense forest that stretched for miles in every direction. The woods were a constant source of fascination and mystery for me, and I spent countless hours exploring their depths, learning their secrets. One evening, as I sat on the back porch of our family home, I heard something that would change my life forever. It began as a low, guttural howl, slowly rising in pitch until it carried off into the distance. The sound was unlike anything I had ever heard before, louder and more powerful than any animal I knew. It repeated over and over again, each howl lasting for about 30 seconds. As the strange howls continued, the dogs in the area began barking and howling in response. They seemed agitated and restless, their behavior only settling once the howls ceased. I was left with an overwhelming sense of unease, wondering what kind of creature could make such a sound. A few days later, my father had a bizarre encounter of his own. He was outside when he heard a loud shaking coming from one of the trees in the forest behind our house. He said it sounded like something huge was up in the tree, causing it to sway and groan under its weight. My father was convinced it was a man in the tree, but he couldn't get a clear look at whatever it was. As he scrambled to find a flashlight, the creature suddenly pushed off, causing the tree to crack and fall onto our back deck, crushing the fence in the process. The incident left us all shaken and confused. What kind of creature could cause such destruction? My father was adamant that it had been a man up in the tree, but I couldn't shake the memory of those eerie howls. Was it possible that there was something more lurking in the woods around our home? Over the next few weeks, I became obsessed with discovering the truth. I researched local legends and folklore, trying to find any mention of creatures that could make such a sound or cause such damage. I spent hours in the woods, searching for any signs of the mysterious beast. It wasn't until months later, when I stumbled upon an old book about cryptids and mysterious creatures, that I began to piece together the puzzle. The descriptions of a large, powerful creature that howled and shook trees matched what we had experienced. Although I couldn't prove it, I was convinced that we had encountered a cryptid in our own backyard. The howls and tree shaking incident stopped as suddenly as they had begun, leaving us with more questions than answers. I continued my search for answers, driven by a need to understand the unknown. The experience had shown me that there was more to our world than met the eye, and I was determined to uncover its secrets. I'll never forget the day I met Mututa, a man known throughout Kenya as the one who had cheated death. It was a hot afternoon in Kitui, about 100 miles east of Nairobi, and I had come to interview him about his incredible experiences with life and death. As I approached his humble abode, I couldn't help but feel a mixture of curiosity and apprehension. Mututa, a 60-year-old shepherd, had been pronounced dead three times, only to disrupt his own funeral and rise minutes before burial. His last resurrection had been in May, 
and I was eager to hear his story firsthand. Sitting down with him, I noticed a glimmer of sadness in his eyes. His brother Timothy had told me earlier that Mututa had been disappointed because Pope John Paul II had refused to grant him an audience during his visit to Kenya in August. I decided to begin our conversation by asking him about his first encounter with death. I was just a child, barely three years old, he began, his voice tinged with both wonder and sadness. My body had been wrapped in sheets and blankets and was being lowered into the ground when I let out a cry and was hauled back to the surface. I listened, captivated, as he recounted his second death at the age of 22. After a six-day search, his lifeless body was found, and yet again, he forced open his coffin lid as it was being lowered into the ground. His most recent death occurred in May, when he was pronounced dead after a short illness suspected to be cholera. However, he revived after a day of lying in state and demanded a drink of water. As our conversation drew to a close, Mututa looked at me and said solemnly, I have cheated death three times, but I know that the fourth time will be for good. His words sent a shiver down my spine, and I could see the weight of this knowledge in his eyes. Twelve days ago, Mututa passed away, and this time, there were no miracles. He was buried without fanfare or publicity in a simple ceremony in Kitui. The exact cause of death was not disclosed, but it seems that his premonition had come true. As I reflect on my encounter with Mututa, I am struck by the fragility and mystery of life. His story serves as a reminder to cherish every moment and live each day as if it were our last. For Mututa, the man who had cheated death, the final curtain had finally fallen. As I stared at the lifeless body of my best friend, I knew I couldn't let this go on any longer. The once peaceful town we called home had become a place of fear and nightmares, the forests surrounding it now inhabited by deadly, unknown creatures. We had come together as a group of hunters, determined to protect our town and families from the mysterious predators responsible for the gruesome animal attacks that had plagued our community for months. We had entered the forest, weapons in hand, prepared to face whatever horrors awaited us. But we were not ready for the cunning intelligence and ferocity of the creatures that hunted us. They picked us off one by one, their stealth and speed unmatched by any predator we had ever encountered. I was the last survivor, my friends and fellow hunters now nothing more than memories and fallen comrades. Desperate and terrified, I stumbled deeper into the forest, hoping to find a way to stop these relentless monsters. That's when I discovered it, an ancient relic, hidden away in a dark, forgotten cavern. Its mysterious power seemed to resonate with the creatures, hinting at the possibility of controlling them. With newfound determination, I began to study the relic, learning its secrets and unlocking its potential. As I deciphered its ancient symbols and harnessed its power, I devised a plan to turn the creatures against one another, using their own instincts and abilities to defeat them. With the relic in hand, I ventured back into the heart of the forest, seeking out the lair of the predators. When I found them, I used the relic's power to emit high-frequency sound waves, carefully tuned to a frequency that specifically affected their hearing, leaving the other forest animals unharmed. The creatures, disoriented and incapacitated by the sound, 
began to turn on one another, their pack mentality shattered by the unbearable noise. As the predators fought amongst themselves, I watched from a safe distance, the power of the relic protecting me from their wrath. The once fearsome creatures were now vulnerable and confused, their reign of terror coming to an end. With the last of the creatures defeated, I returned to the town, battered and bruised but alive. I carried with me the relic, a testament to the power it held and the lives it had saved. The nightmare was over, and our small town could finally begin to heal from the horror that had gripped it for so long. In the end, the ancient relic and the knowledge of the high-frequency sound waves had been the key to our salvation, allowing me to overcome the deadly predators and protect the home and people I held dear. I didn't personally witness any of the sightings, but I heard about them from the police reports. Officer Linda Seabrook saw a creature that looked gargoyle-like while driving home from work on the Garden State Parkway around 7.04 p.m. She couldn't believe what she was seeing but was sure of the dark reddish skin and scaly reptilian wings of the creature. Another police officer, Scott Kimball, had a sighting of a gargoyle-like reptilian on Route 33 near Union at approximately 4.35 am. He saw a creature nearly six feet tall with scaly wings protruding from its back. The creature had larger-than-normal eyes and canine teeth. Officer Kimball saw the creature land briefly on an abandoned building and was able to make out its approximately five-foot-long tail. Police dispatch also received calls about sightings of a gargoyle-like creature in Cherry Hill Township at around 8.43 p.m. Witnesses reported seeing a creature nearly seven feet tall with large bat-like wings behind its shoulders. The wingspan was estimated to be around 13 feet across. There were also reports of strange flying reptilian creatures in Pensacon Township at around 3.17 a.m. Multiple witnesses called the PD to report creatures with red glowing eyes, large wings, and massive black talons. While I haven't seen any of these creatures myself, the reports are certainly intriguing. I've always loved exploring the great outdoors, and one of my favorite pastimes is hiking the trails in the Mount Hood National Forest. The vast expanse of wilderness, filled with towering trees and hidden mysteries, calls to me like a siren song. One crisp autumn day, I set out on a solo hike down Old Cat Road, a trail that meanders through a replanted area of the forest near Colton. As I walked along the path, my senses were filled with the sights, sounds, and smells of the forest. The rustle of leaves beneath my feet, the chirping of birds high above, and the earthy scent of damp soil filled the air. The beauty of the forest never failed to take my breath away. It was then that I stumbled upon something that would change the course of my hike and spark a deep curiosity within me. As I rounded a bend in the trail, I noticed a set of tracks leading out of the replanted area onto the road. The tracks were unlike any I had seen before, large, deep impressions with distinct claw marks. Curiosity peaked, I decided to follow the tracks to see where they led. They continued along the road for a short distance before disappearing back into the trees. I hesitated for a moment, unsure if I should venture off the trail, but my curiosity won out. 
I stepped off the path and followed the tracks into the dense forest. The underbrush grew thicker as I pushed deeper into the trees, and the tracks became more challenging to follow. Still, I pressed on, determined to uncover the mystery of these unusual tracks. As I continued my pursuit, the forest seemed to close in around me, the shadows growing darker and more oppressive. Finally, after what felt like hours of searching, I found the source of the tracks. In a small clearing, I came face to face with a creature unlike anything I had ever seen. It was massive, standing at least eight feet tall, with dark, shaggy fur and piercing, intelligent eyes. I realized, with a mixture of awe and terror, that I had discovered a cryptid, a creature of legend. The beast regarded me with curiosity, as if it were just as surprised to see me as I was to see it. We stood there for a moment, locked in a silent standoff, before the creature turned and disappeared back into the forest, leaving me alone in the clearing. As I made my way back to the trail, my mind raced with questions. What was this creature? How had it managed to remain hidden for so long? And, most importantly, what would I do with this incredible discovery? From that day forward, my life was forever changed. The encounter in the forest fueled a lifelong passion for cryptozoology and a quest to unravel the mysteries of the unknown. The memory of that fateful day in the Mount Hood National Forest continues to inspire me as I journey through the world of cryptids, searching for answers and unlocking the secrets of the wild. It was my best friend's birthday. We pitched tents in the backyard. Six of us went for a walk on the dirt road in the canopy. On the other side of the canopy is the Willamette River. Four of the friends kept walking further up the road. My friend and I sat down to talk in the shade. That's when rocks started to be thrown in the river. We thought our friends were trying to scare us. When we met up with them they were mad at us because they thought we were trying to scare them by throwing rock in the water. After figuring out it was not any one of us, we were all kind of scared. As kids we were told of bums and or drug growers on the banks of the Willamette. We were not thinking of Bigfoot at all, we turned and started to walk back to the yard and there they were. One large Bigfoot standing in front about 7 to 8 feet tall, and two smaller ones standing behind about 6 feet tall. They came up from the river side, stood in front of us and snorted, maybe 10 seconds felt like forever and then took off on two feet through the brush opposite from the river. I had never seen something move so fast and so quiet once they hit the brush. My friends ran, I stood frozen in fear. I believe due to shock I blacked out the experience for a long time. It is one of the most horrible things to go through, who do you talk to about this stuff? No one believes the story. I have met up with one of the people that was there. He says that he doesn't remember what he saw. He just remembers everyone being really scared and running back to the yard. It's so frustrating. I wish I would have never seen it so that I wouldn't have to believe. In the aftermath of the world's devastation, our small community struggled to survive. Food was scarce, and the once familiar landscapes had transformed into a mutated wasteland. As one of the skilled hunters in our group, it was my responsibility to venture into the unknown and bring back the resources we desperately needed. 
We set off, a small band of hardened hunters, each an expert in their own right. But I had a knack for improvising traps and weapons that often made the difference between life and death. As we journeyed further into the mutated wasteland, we encountered creatures that defied belief. Some were grotesque amalgamations of animals we had once known, while others were entirely new species born of the catastrophe. We fought and killed many of these monstrous creatures, and I devised a series of creative and deadly methods to dispatch them. One such trap involved rigging a tripwire to a deadfall, crushing a reptilian beast that boasted scaly armor and razor-sharp teeth. Another time, I crafted a makeshift spear from a broken tree branch and took down a massive, six-legged creature with the precision of a skilled marksman. But our most harrowing encounter came when we were ambushed by the most powerful and deadly creature we had ever faced. The beast stood on four muscular legs, its twisted form covered in spiked, armored plating. Its eyes glowed with a malevolent intelligence that sent chills down our spines. We were outmatched, and one by one, my fellow hunters fell to the creature's relentless onslaught. As the last surviving hunter, I knew I had to find a way to defeat the beast. Drawing upon my knowledge of the creature's habits and weaknesses, I devised a plan. I studied the predator's scent marking habits and chemical communication, using my findings to create a synthetic pheromone to lure the creature into a trap. By placing the pheromone in strategic locations, I was able to manipulate the predator's movements and create an opportunity to strike. The beast approached the trap, its keen senses drawn to the irresistible scent. As it closed in, I sprang into action, launching my carefully prepared attack that finally brought the creature down. Exhausted and battered, I knew my fallen comrades would not have died in vain. When I returned to our community, I brought not only much-needed resources but also tales of our harrowing encounters and a newfound appreciation for the power of human ingenuity. Our world might have changed beyond recognition, but the resilience and adaptability of the human spirit remained a force to be reckoned with. Yesterday, me and a friend decided to go to the nearby woods to smoke a bowl and hang out. This wooded area is rather small but has lots of dense brush, giving us lots of cover. I brought my brand new Glock E-Tool and a can of Sabre Red OC just in case. We went into the woods a decent distance and smoked a bowl. I was going to repack the bowl when I suddenly heard some very loud and very close footsteps right behind me. I didn't see the guy since I was preoccupied with grabbing my backpack, but my friend did. He described him as maybe a 5 feet 11 white male in his 50s wearing a white shirt and a cap. He had snuck up behind us in a wooded area full of dense brush and dry leaves until he was a mere 5 yards away at which point he started to speedwalk towards us without saying a word. We both made it out of there, and took cover behind a rotting log, where we joked about how Sam Fisher just attacked us. I personally feel like someone wouldn't be that stealthy just to sneak up on two kids smoking weed, and that he may have had some bad motive or something. I can post pictures of the location if you guys request it. In 1992 or 93 I hiked up Mule Mountain from a ridge on the southeast end. 
I was about one quarter mile from the mountain walking through a small bunch grass meadow enclosed with old growth. First, elk hunting. It was unusually quiet, so I was walking as softly as possible. I had stopped to listen and watch, when off to my right from deep in the timber I heard very clearly and loudly, a sound like someone blowing across the mouth of a soda bottle. It wasn't a bear woofing. There were three split-second bursts in rapid succession, followed by a loud guttural gurgling call similar to a deep trill. At 60 years of age, I have spent a majority of my life in the Oregon woods, but have never heard these sounds before or since. It stirred what I call the caveman response. A deep primeval fear that immediately throws you into the fight-or-flight mode. I left by the shortest route possible back to my truck. I have never returned to that area. It's as if my instincts tell me not to. That there's something that didn't want me there. It was a Friday night, and the party was in full swing. The music was loud, the drinks were flowing, and everyone was having a great time. I, too, was enjoying the lively atmosphere when I noticed her, a beautiful girl with a smile that could light up the room. We exchanged glances and, before I knew it, we were chatting, laughing, and dancing together. As the night wore on, our connection grew stronger, and eventually, we decided to leave the party together. I remember my friend watching us as we left, a knowing smile on his face. We spent the night wrapped in each other's arms, sharing secrets, and exploring our desires. It was a night I would never forget. The following morning, I awoke to find her gone. I figured she must have left early, and I was determined to find her again. I spent the next few months asking family, friends, and even total strangers about her but nobody seemed to know who she was. The memory of our night together was so vivid, I couldn't fathom the idea that it was all just a figment of my imagination. Confused and desperate for answers, I decided to confront my friend, the one who had seen us leave the party together. I was sure he would have some information about her, but when I brought it up, he gave me a puzzled look. Man, you left the party alone that night, he insisted. I don't know what you're talking about. His words sent a shiver down my spine, and my mind raced to make sense of it all. Could I have been drugged or hallucinating? Was it all just a vivid dream? I couldn't accept any of these explanations, my memories of her were too real, too intense. As the years passed, I continued to search for her, but she remained an enigma. My one night stand with the girl who didn't exist became a legend among my friends and family a mystery that I would never solve. I often wonder if she was a figment of my imagination or perhaps a beautiful ghost who graced me with her presence for just one night. One thing is for sure, I will never forget her. The girl who didn't exist left an indelible mark on my heart, a reminder of the fleeting nature of love and the enigma of human connection. And even though I may never find her again, I'll always cherish the memories of our night together as they remain some of the most vivid and captivating moments of my life. My best friend of 16 years told me a story that I will never forget. This didn't happen directly to me, but it scared the shit out of me that I literally think about this tale once a week. This friend and I have been best buds since the first day of kindergarten. 
She's an atheist who has never believed in ghosts or anything paranormal. I used to tell her ghost stories all the time to try and mess with her, but she's all science. After she moved into this house, I think her beliefs have changed a bit. She and two other roommates, and a cat, moved into this old house in North Carolina that was notorious for being spooky and haunted. Weird things would happen all of the time. For example, her roommate was sitting on her bed once and her desktop computer mouse unplugged itself and literally flew across the room. The cat would be fine one minute, then look into a dark corner, and his slash stand on her haunches, run and hide. They would hear noises, feel they were being watched, all typical haunted house stuff. One of the creepiest parts of this story isn't actually paranormal at all. This old old woman, whose husband later told the group she had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, would frequently come to the house and not. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Knock on the door asking to see her mother. I suppose she lived in the neighborhood and would walk to the house and the husband, still with a clear mind, would have to drive and apologetically pick up his wife and take her home. The roommates would gently tell her that no one lives there except the three of them and she would usually leave, confused. One day my friend was home alone sitting on the couch watching TV. The back door was located behind the couch. Because of the TV, my friend didn't hear the back door open but she sensed someone behind her. She turned around and that old woman was standing there calling out for her mother. My friend freaked and told the woman she had to leave and escorted her to the door. I guess the old woman stopped coming around after that. So, fast forward a few months and the three roommates, two girls, one guy, decide to move out and go their separate ways, but the night before they moved out they decided to Ouija board the place. I told my friend she's an idiot for doing this, and apparently the little cup or whatever was flying around that board. Something came through. They asked it several questions. They asked if it was here alone and it said no. They asked if it was human and it said no. And that was that. But it gets weirder. My friend told me she'd often be driving to work or her new apartment in the same town and would just end up at the house. Like she had no control or awareness of where she was driving she would just go there. One time she said she even knocked and tried to move back in without knowing why or where this impulse was coming from. This happened to her often. The three roommates later met up at a party, and they discussed their time in the house. She told them about this weird habit she'd picked up and said they both turned white. Apparently, all three of them had been doing this. Driving to the house uncontrollably and not being able to explain why. At the same party after my friend and the other girl had left, this random chick approached the boy roommate, having no knowledge of their past with the house. She said I know this may sound weird, but I'm a medium. And you have three things attached to you. Do you know anyone close to you who has passed? The boy skeptically responded yes, 
I lost both of my parents a few years ago. Could it be them? The medium said two of the attachments could be your parents. But that third thing is something else. That third thing is dark and it wants you back. Now, we can argue she made this up to try and frighten me but I can promise you I know when she's lying, or trying to prank me. The specificity of this story is too legit, and she'd have no reason to make this up. I'm just really glad she never asked me to sleep over while she lived there. As you all know it's Halloween, and my friends and I just had a really weird experience. We were sitting in the cemetery next to the host friend's house and smoking weed at around 9.30 to 9.45 pm. We were just messing around and having fun until we heard a super loud growl from the woods behind us. Like, not an animal growl but not a man growl either, it sounded like Mongolian throat singing or something. I asked everyone did you guys hear that? But nobody responded and one of my friends took off running. We all took off running after her, even my friend whose legs give out on him a lot and would be in extreme pain every time he ran, so I know they weren't doing it to f with me. My one friend said he could hear someone running through the woods behind us, and another friend heard what sounded like a man yelling after us. The neighborhood is full of extremely rich old people and none of us think they would pull a prank like that, especially since it was pitch black and we had no flashlight so you wouldn't just be able to casually see us in the cemetery unless you were looking. On purpose. Any ideas on what the F just happened to us? On that day, July 17, 2017, I was relaxing at home in Santa Cruz, California, when I noticed some movement across the street from my kitchen window. It's a small side street with lots of large trees. It was hard to tell what I was seeing at first because they appeared to have some sort of camouflage, but they looked like black SWAT uniforms with small yellow lettering, once I was able to get a better view. They were up in a tree, very well hidden by the leaves, and I was only really able to see them when they moved. It was apparent when they moved as opposed to the wind because only a small section of a branch would vibrate. I was startled and anxious because they were looking toward my house, and I first thought they had me under surveillance or something and couldn't understand what was going on. I watched them in the tree for at least 5 to 10 minutes, and I was crouched low looking through a cutout in my fence. They seemed to spot me at some point and some kind of faint beeping sound started, like an alarm on a radio, or walkie-talkie. They then began trying to slowly and secretly climb down ropes that I could see being controlled by a man high in the tree wearing a blue jacket. They dropped out of sight behind the neighbor across the street's fence. So this was all weird enough, but what happened next was absolutely mind-blowing. I was trying to see where they went behind the fence and noticed something very tall at the back of the driveway of their next-door neighbor. Their driveway extends behind their house into the backyard. I realized I was looking at an unbelievably tall woman with very blonde, long hair. She had a sort of gray and white jumpsuit on, with a strange looking oval back covering that went around the top of her head and all the way down to her feet. It was only solid in the back and was whitish in color with a patterned border around the edge. It didn't really look like fabric but I couldn't tell what it was. Her eyes were extremely large. She stood very still but moved slightly 
and there seemed to be a shorter humanoid shape wearing the same color jumpsuit moving around rather wildly at her feet. But the shadow of the fence made it hard to see that part. The sunlight was good and bright, and the only obstruction was some sparse shadowing from tree leaves. Not really sure what I was looking at, I looked back to where the black wearing tree climbers had been and saw that suddenly there was now a short, skin-colored something standing behind their fence. The fence is a lattice pattern so there are a good many holes you can see through. It was too short to be seen over the top of the fence, but I could see a very large face with a deeply wrinkled forehead and eyes that almost looked like they were made of some kind of glitter. They were very large, and somewhat rounder than what people usually describe as alien eyes. I could see that it was looking right at me, so not knowing what else to do, I waved at it. It then reached a hand with very long bony fingers through the fence lattice and waved back. It waved a couple more times, stopping in between waves. I was so stunned that I had to look away and shake my head to make sure I wasn't hallucinating. When I looked back it had stopped waving and was a little farther back from the fence. It seemed like a good entity, whatever it was. Even though I was seeing from across the street through two fences, I could see it quite well. Things somehow got even weirder after that. I decided to lie down for a minute, glancing back to where the massive woman had been, but there didn't seem to be anyone there anymore. I went up into my little loft, which has several skylights under a giant live oak tree. I stared at the tree trying to process what I had just witnessed, when I noticed a couple of branches quivering like the ones the covert ops guys had been shaking. I expected to see more of those creepy agents but instead strained to see a much smaller creature climbing expertly up into the high branches. It was difficult to see it clearly because it seemed to be a dusty grey-green color, much like the bark and leaves of the tree. It seemed to have textured skin, possibly scaly, and it had an angular face with teeny tiny little projections like little horns or possibly short antennae. It has a small mouth that looked full of sharp teeth. Its eyes were quite large and dark. It had a humanoid build but was short. I stared at this for many minutes, wondering what the hell was going on. Then I caught sight of some slight movement on other branches and saw two more of the same creatures climbing easily up the tall tree. They reached a high up branch that was big enough to lie on. The light, once they stopped moving much, was not ideal and it was hard to see them when they were sitting still. In the shade of the branches it looked like an even smaller, dark green creature was working on the grey colored ones back somehow, it looked like a massage to me. I watched until my neck was too painful from looking up to continue. When I looked back a little later, the branches were empty. This was all preceded by an unnerving experience late the night before. I got up to get water and glanced at the driveway neighbor's window. Inside I saw an unnaturally gangly figure that was bluish light gray. It was staring out of their window directly at me which caught me off guard and I let out a little shriek. I walked from the kitchen into the bathroom and looked again, seeing that its eyes followed where I was. I called my boyfriend in fear and told him what I was seeing. He was just excited while I was scared. I thought that would be the end of it when I went to bed, but the next day was even crazier. I wish I had a way to find out what was going on. There was also a very small orb darting about the branches of the oak tree and any time it would graze a twig it would give a little shake. 
I've never seen a bird or bug or other flying life form move in that manner. I attest that this is all true and I've described it to the best of my knowledge. I have never seen anything like this before and really would like to know what was going on, and if it is real why so many different kinds of extraterrestrials were in my neighborhood. On my 10th birthday, I went to Buenos Aires, Argentina to see my mom's side of the family. There was a doll my mom had when she was a little kid, that doll was half the size of me. It was creepy. It sat in the storage room, which was right next to where I slept. It was about 1.30 am for me, and I heard something crashing down and the storage room light turned on. Everyone jolted awake, and the dogs started barking. I was like what was that? I turned the lights on, and I saw the doll, which was once on the chair, had fallen onto the floor. It somehow knocked over a cup too. Let's just say, the next few nights I spent there, I had difficulty sleeping. When I got back, I slept normally. A little backstory, my husband and I run a trap line, we catch raccoons for skins and we make dog food from the rest. We had been setting about 20 traps on my brother-in-law's property, a little over 10 wooded acres with a creek, since the coons had been destroying his trash cans. Thin the herd a little. Every morning, right around 5 am, we would load up the trap tools and head out to check the line. For a little over a week, we would hear sticks or leaves crunching just out of sight, the property is insanely overgrown in places and you are lucky to see 5 feet. We would brush it off and keep checking the line, after all, we both had guns, and there is wildlife out there that is perfectly capable of crunching on a stick. At one point, right before dusk while we were resetting traps, I told my husband quietly that I smelled cigarette smoke. It was getting dark so we headed out pretty quickly, since we rarely carried guns at night. By this point we were both annoyed and a little concerned, because whoever was out there had been close enough we could smell them. But not see them. Being watched is always a little unsettling. Several days went by without issue, until one morning I woke up feeling crummy. Dead of winter and I caught the flu. Well, when you farm and have a trap line, you don't get sick days. I bundled up and we headed out, but when it came time to cross the creek, always fun at 5 am, you had to balance on a dead tree while you carried a crap ton of equipment, I stayed behind. I walked along the creek where I could, and back onto the trail where I couldn't give my husband a heads up if we had caught anything. We are down to the last trap and I see something hauling off towards my husband, so I chamber around into my point .22. For those of you who haven't been around guns, a point .22 is basically rodent shot. It would take a darn good shot to kill anything larger than a medium-sized dog, thinking a stray dog is going after him. But I stop short from yelling when I see something else moving. There is a man less than 10 feet from my husband, hiding behind a tree while his dog growls and snaps. He hasn't seen me. I kneel down, put the safety back on so I could safely look at the guy through my scope. He was older, maybe mid-40s, in ragged clothes. I kept one eye on him and one on the dog, a large lab mix who was still baring its teeth. 
My husband had his pistol out and was very slowly chambering around in case the dog lunged. It wasn't until the bullet clicked into place that the man stepped out very deliberately. He didn't speak. Didn't call off his dog. Just stood there, staring at my husband. The dog is still growling. Can I help you? You're on private property and you need to get your dog before I shoot her. I used to hunt here. Sir, please get your dog. There was a deer stand here. I used to hunt here. Are you on the lease? This is my brother's property and you are trespassing. Please put that leash on the dog. I used to hunt here. You didn't bring your wife today. I see my husband scan my side of the creek, looking for me, before answering, no I didn't. She has the flu. You need to go home to her then. You know I used to hunt here. Then he whistles, the dog walks to him, and they walk off into the woods, not back towards neighboring properties, but onto timberland where there are no roads or houses for maybe 30 miles. Before he completely gets out of sight he yells back, tell your wife I'll quit smoking. Needless to say, we jabbed sticks into the empty traps and got the hell out of there. When we went to pull the traps out for the season, there were cigarette butts next to every single one. A couple years ago, I got home after hanging out with friends to my mom freaking out and on the phone. Turns out my baby sister, she was five at the time, was missing. I live in an apartment building, and my other sister, she was probably 11-ish, was at her friend's place, also lives in our building. The friend also has a sister close to the age of my baby sister so I told my mom to calm down and to call the friend's house to ask for my sister. Soon after my sister comes back freaking out because she didn't bring our baby sister along. I'm here freaking out wondering where the F she could have gone and my parents are running around a 21-story building looking for her. They found her on the second floor alone, and when they asked her why she left, she simply said I was following my imaginary friend. This is an encounter my girlfriend and her friend had a few years ago, not mine personally. I've heard her tell this story a few times before, but after recently hearing them together describe what they saw, I thought maybe you would enjoy it. Maybe someone has seen something similar. This encounter happened in Lakewood, New Jersey a few years back. It was midday sometime in September. My girlfriend and her friend used to jog together regularly at local parks. The park they were at this particular day is called Lake Carasalio, which butts up to a housing development. The trail they were on loops around the lake and three quarters of trail is basically just a normal paved sidewalk that follows a road but eventually turns to dirt and through a small wooded area on the far side of the lake, the other one quarter of the trail. Mind you, this place is far from being remote, it is New Jersey after all. While jogging through the wooded part of the trail they came upon a creepy humanoid-looking figure on the edge of the trail that stopped them both in their tracks. They both keep referring to this thing as troll-like. It was short, maybe four feet tall at most. It was dressed in a long black hooded cloak hunched over sitting on a wooden chest, yes, a wooden chest. Exactly the kind you'd imagine a troll to be sitting on. They said they could not see any face at all because its head was directed at the ground and the hood was too long. 
But what they did notice was the cloak was short enough to see part of its legs and was wearing what looked like regular flesh-colored stockings and had very small clubbed feet. Its legs had large protruding boils or tumor-like lumps on the exposed area. It was wearing blue gloves too. Terrified, they eventually made their way past this thing coming only a few feet from it, hoping it wouldn't jump out at them. They got the hell out of there faster than they'd ever run before. It didn't say anything or try to cause them any harm. It just sat there hunched over. They thought at first that maybe it was just a mannequin or something someone put there as a joke but they noticed hand movement right before they passed it. Needless to say, they have never gone back to this lake ever again. Every time my girlfriend talks about this encounter I can hear the fear in her trembling voice and was obviously somewhat traumatized by the encounter. Even though I geek out about these types of stories all the time, she has absolutely zero interest in any of these types of things. She will roll her eyes or shake her head and tell me I'm crazy when I tell her about a cool story of Bigfoot or aliens or whatever that I read about, trying to pique some interest in her on these types of subjects. However, she continues to want nothing of it. I'm a very open-minded person when it comes to this stuff. I can't say I believe in anything cause I've never had a convincing encounter aside from hearing a few strange sounds in the woods I couldn't explain. I always ask myself, is it possible creatures slash aliens slash Bigfoot exist? The answer is usually, yes. But then again, someone just playing a prank to mess with people is extremely more logical sometimes, especially in a place like New Jersey. A few years ago in my undergrad I was walking home from my class when I started feeling really sick. I have anxiety and all of a sudden my nerves shot up to a 10. I felt like I was going to puke and I was shaky. I went and sat on a bench in this strip mall on campus where they basically have a lot of stores and restaurants. After a while the nausea went away and I just felt really, really tired. It was midterm season and I thought I was just exhausted so I went inside this coffee shop to get coffee. While in line I felt so sick again, by the time I paid for my coffee my anxiety was through the roof, I seriously thought maybe they'd messed up my meds or something. I walked home, put the coffee in the fridge, and laid down in bed where I couldn't sleep at all. After like half an hour of staring at the ceiling I get this huge urge to call my dad. My dad is an amazing guy but when it comes to mental illness he sees it as kind of creepy slash weird and so I've never talked about my anxiety with him. So, I push away the feeling and figure it must just be that I'm desperate for someone to tell me everything's fine and frigging relax, his usual response when I'm anxious. Another hour or so goes by. I get a message on Facebook from my brother, and I am so shaken. He tells me there was a gas leak at the factory where my dad works, the entire neighborhood had to evacuate and two people died. Later it came out that the police suspected it was a S by the mechanic and unfortunately he took a security guard out with him. Here's the thing. My dad is also a security guard. There are usually two of them on duty but halfway through driving to work, my dad realized he forgot his lunch and his access card, so he had to drive back home to get it. As he was getting ready to drive back again his supervisor called him and told him not to go into work, there was a major gas leak. The rest of the night I felt totally fine. 
I don't know what that was but it creeps me out to this day. Since then I've told myself no matter how weird it seems I need to tell people when I feel like this. I told my dad about this years later and he basically just said wow thanks for not calling to warn me. But, he's still really sad about his friend that he lost so he doesn't like to talk about it much. The college I went to was pretty isolated and in the middle of nowhere, took me over an hour to get home each day. There was a lot of small trails and forest areas on and around campus to walk through though. Me and my two friends at the time used to frequently walk down this wooded trail until we got to a little stone bridge going over a canal, we would take the steps and sit under the bridge usually feeding the ducks. People who lived on the other side typically had boats and such to take down the canal, and I guess this guy was no exception. One day this man walked past us, seemingly just going under the bridge to continue down the canal, he took a few steps out and then turned around to look at us. He said his name was Indy and started asking us about college and how often we came here. My friend L, extremely tall and decently threatening if he wants to be, got a little defensive and he asked for our names. He said he had a boat on the river and pointed it out and asked if we could maybe just keep an eye on it whenever we are close by, to make sure nothing happens to it I guess. L agreed and pretended to take the guy's phone number and he left back the way he came. This boat looked like it hadn't been used in AT at least a year, it was filthy and slightly broken, we left soon after this encounter as we felt creeped out. L told everyone to not go back there alone just in case he was a predator or something. I didn't listen and went back there to read about a week later, it was peaceful and got me off campus. However, he came back. I saw him walking back towards the bridge in the same direction he came from last time. Something in my gut told me to get out of there, so I grabbed my things and basically ran back to college. Since then we've never seen that old boat or Indy ever again. Part of me wonders what happened to him but the other is glad he didn't come back. I was about 16 years old at home alone for the night. I fell asleep just fine, but I woke up later at around 3. I couldn't fall back asleep and then I started hearing this weird high-pitched ring in my ears. It kept getting louder and then out of nowhere, my door starts creaking open, it's the loudest door on earth, and I hear really slow dragging footsteps walking into my room. I turned to see if anyone was there and the doorway is completely empty, and I heard the footsteps start moving towards my bed with the ringing in my ears getting louder. I flipped out and rolled over facing away from the footsteps feeling pretty helpless. I thought it went away when I heard the stepping stop until I felt something sit on my bed. I honestly have never prayed harder in my life. Eventually it just kind of stopped all at once, and I just laid there wide awake for the rest of the night. I told my mom about it a day later and she said that she used to hear the same dragging footsteps too. I changed rooms away from the basement after that. When I was around 8 years old my family and I lived in this old house that always gave me the creeps. Especially this one room that was kept as our study. Every time I'd walk in, or pass this room I just felt yucky and had the most intense feeling that I was being watched by someone that hated me being in there. 
Anyways fast forward a few months and my father decided that he was going to make the study room mine as I was sharing a room with my younger brother. I begged him to give it to my younger brother instead, I was the eldest so I should get to pick. It ended up being my room. First night in this room ended up being my last. This part I remember like it was literally yesterday. My dad came in and said goodnight and proceeded to turn off my bedroom light. As soon as he left the room I felt that intense foreboding feeling I had at every other time I had been in this room. Except that this time I was different. It was like I could feel a set of eyes on me. I pulled my blankets up over me as I was that scared. After about 30 seconds the blankets started being pulled down and left me staring into my room with no apparent reason or cause. I looked around quickly and then pulled the blankets back over my head and again. Blankets started to be pulled off me. By this stage I was scared out of my wits. I remember telling myself that it was probably just my cat playing around but I looked under my bed and around the room and my cat was not in my room. I then told myself that I'm going to pull the blankets back up over my head but if something starts to pull off my blankets then I'm out of here. No matter what my father says. I pulled the blankets back over my head slowly whilst looking around the room for anything that could be doing this to me. After another 30 seconds. My blankets began to be pulled off me and this time I booked it out of my room so fast it was unreal. By this stage I was in tears of fear and my dad couldn't console or convince me to go back into that room. This all is 100% true and I remember it like it happened a week ago when it was in fact well over 20 years ago. Also my brother and I had reoccurring night terrors in this house. Someone broke into the house and they broke in by smashing the window to the study room, the room that was foreboding and haunted. They however cut themselves so severely on the window of the study room that they left empty-handed. There was loads of blood all over the window and side of the house where they had tried to crawl in through the smashed window and into the study room. That room was just wrong. My family lived in Vermont for several years, in a small town called Northfield, south of Montpelier. There's a local legend in Northfield, of a thing known as the Pigman. The story has multiple versions, as most do, but some parts are always the same. Back in 1951, the night before Halloween, this 17-year-old kid named Sam Harris went out on his own with a basket of eggs to cause some mischief. Nobody knows exactly what happened to him, just that he never came home and was never found. Years later, some high school kids were out drinking behind the school one night during a dance when this thing came walking out of the woods on two human legs. It was naked, covered in white hair, and was wearing a hollowed out pig's head like some grotesque mask. Naturally, the kids tore out of there and went and told people. Word spread and some farmer admitted he'd seen a figure matching that description digging through his garbage one night. Some pigs had also gone missing recently. More sightings were made of the pig man, as it became known, but many times the claims were just kids wanting to get attention. Now, whether this thing is Sam Harris or this thing ate Sam Harris, nobody in town knows for sure. But what they do know is that it isn't afraid of people and it really likes to eat meat. There's a place just outside of Northfield known as the Devil's Washbowl, with a river and waterfalls, and several caves. 
After more sightings of the pigman were made out by the washbowl, some people went investigating and found that one cave, in particular, was littered with animal bones, some of which were pigs. It got around that they'd found the lair of the pigman, and it became popular for teens to go out to the devil's washbowl at night and try to catch sight of him. My sister and a couple of her friends went out to the devil's washbowl their senior year. They took sleeping bags and flashlights and all the gear you'd take to go camping. I wasn't there to give a first-hand account of what transpired, I was only eight at the time. I can only tell you what was told to me. There were six or eight of them, depending on who you ask, all couples. They picked several caves, one for each pair. My sister and her boyfriend were in their cave. She was rolling out their sleeping bags and he was trying to start a fire when they heard some shouts and then screaming from one of the other caves. When they got there, the girl was curled up in a ball in the farthest corner of the cave, and her boyfriend was nowhere to be found. She told them that the pig man had come trudging into their cave, completely undaunted by their presence. The guy had started shouting at it, both to drive it away and to get the other's attention. The pigman casually picked up a large rock and struck the guy in the side of the head with it, knocking him unconscious. It picked him up, slung him over its shoulder, and shambled out of the cave just moments before the rest arrived. Nobody had seen it exit the cave, nor seen signs of it at all. They did find the rock lying on the cave floor with blood on it, and bare footprints in some soft creek mud outside. The girls all drove into town and went straight to the police. The remaining boys, whether it was two or three of them, grabbed flashlights and makeshift weapons and scoured the woods around the area. The footprints disappeared at the edge of the road, and they lost the trail there. Search parties were set up. Police and K-9 units and a big coordinated effort including several other adjoining townships police forces. A couple days later, some articles of the guy's clothes were found by a search dog. They had been left torn and scattered in an abandoned farmhouse a town over. The missing teen's photo was put up in the area, and one guy came forward. He said the other night, he'd awakened to the sound of someone lurking outside his house. He checked out his kitchen window and someone was rummaging through the trash can by his garage. The person was only wearing a faded and ripped pair of jeans. When the man hit the porch light, the intruder looked up and looked just like the kid in the photo. The only difference was that his body was covered with white hair and his eyes looked kind of hollow, 